Well, hello, everyone. My name's Steph. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, I've got a slight frog in my throat, which if, you're, if English isn't your first language, that's a saying that we have when it's a bit, it's not literally a frog in my throat. <clears throat> it's one of the rituals we do here. I know, I really joke. Uh, okay, so... Um, this Sunday and next Sunday are going to be standalone sermons, and then we're going to start a new series in November. This Sunday, today, I'm going to preach to you about the river of God. <coughs> How does that sound? In order to understand a little bit about the river of God, you, you've got to, you, it, what, what helps, first of all, is to, before I read the scripture, is to just give you an understanding of, in the Bible, really what, what the idea of the temple represents. Um, I guess essentially the temple represents um, two things. The temple is the place where, where heaven meets earth, where heavenly realities and earthly realities come together. And then uh, closely linked with that, of course, is that the he- temple is the place where the presence of God, where the presence of God dwells. And um, when I say the word temple, all kinds of things may come to your uh, mind. But just to give you a little bit of history with Israel um, and the Old Testament, they, they had a temple um, known as Solomon's Temple. Um, Solomon oversaw the building of that temple in Jerusalem. Um, and we're going to turn to a passage in Ezekiel in just a moment. And just to give you some context before I read it, um, Ezekiel is, is prophesying really a, quite a short time, a few, just a few years after the uh, Israelites um, have been um, exiled, have been completely smashed by the Babylonians in war and have been exiled um, to Babylon. And um, that happened in stages, but in one of the stages, the city was razed, and along with it, the temple. So Solomon's temple, which was this magnificent building um, um, where people would come from nations to see, it was completely razed by the Babylonians. And so Ezekiel is prophesying um, during uh, 14 years, he says, after the destruction. So we're talking around about 573 BC. Ezekiel is prophesying about this. And, um, and he begins to prophesy about the temple, which bear in mind when he's, when he's prophesying about it, it doesn't exist anymore. It's not there um, anymore. I'm going to read to you, um, I'm going to read you a passage from Ezekiel, a passage from Revelation, and then we will dig into um, some short passages from the New Testament, which will come up on the screen. So Ezekiel and Revelation don't, so just listen carefully. And then the, the final passages will come up on the screen in just a few minutes. So I'm going to read to you Ezekiel 47. Um, the first 12 verses. And he's been, he's, been, he's been having this vision about the temple and he's been saying things about it for a number of chapters. We get to 47 <clears throat> and he says, um, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple and behold, water, water, it's an important word for today's sermon, was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces outward towards the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand. It was a river that I could not pass through for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? And then he led me to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. 
And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live and there will be very many fish for this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Everything will live where the river goes. Everything will live where the river goes. Very important. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Eneglaim. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of many, very many kinds like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. And on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail. But they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Now, this is, a, this is quite a, a, a confusing vision for theologians because no one's quite sure what, is it, what this vision refers to. There are numbers of different theories about what it refers to. And um, it would not serve us well to go into great depth about that this morning. Okay? It, just wouldn't, it just wouldn't help us. We could do that another time, but to do that today would probably miss the main point um, that I can make um, from here. Um, the main point I really want to make from this vision that Ezekiel saw is that there's something about the water of life flowing out from the temple that is important and it brings life and healing wherever it goes. Okay. Now, I wouldn't expect you normally to just go with me on that, having not dug in in depth, but when we go to Revelation, hopefully you'll see what is most certainly the ultimate fulfillment of this idea that will help you see that what I'm saying there is true. So if we go to Revelation 21, just quickly. Um, and we'll go to um, so we're right near the end of the Bible now, and then Revelation twenty-one verse twenty-two. John, John, who's who received this vision, he's just seen this incredible uh, city come down from heaven. It's the end of all things. This is it's the end of when God makes all things new, and he sees this city come down. He describes it like a bride. And so there's this city bride. It's, it's, it's the city bride. You know, these, these aren't pictures that normally come together. It's, it's just so packed full of meaning, this symbolism, that, that you have these images that come together. How does, that, how does a lion and a lamb be in the same person? City bride? Anyway, we've got a city bride coming down from heaven to earth. And it's the brand new creation. And it speaks of the people of God and all of that. And then he says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They'll bring into it the glory and honour of the nations. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the land. Now remember, God is the temple in this new city. Just said that, yeah? So flowing from the throne of God, flowing from the throne of the one who is the temple is the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. So it's, you see the same idea, but this, whatever Ezekiel was referring to um, in terms of the temple, here is where you see it ultimately fulfilled. This is the plan and purpose of God that he will one day make all things new, that heaven and earth will come together in this magnificent 
harmony and it'll be a brand new heavens and a brand new earth. And right in the center of it will be this, the temple who is God himself and flowing from the throne of God is this river of life. So the, wherever the river goes, it brings life. And there's these trees either side of the river and their leaves are for. So you've got life and you've got healing. It's a magnificent captivating picture. It's, it's the kind of thing that gets us out of bed in the morning, isn't it? Life and healing. If you're a born again Christian, I mean, this is what you're about. You've been rescued from that thing that we used to call life, but we realised was a living death. We've been rescued from that. Serving ourselves, serving other things that we were enslaved to. We've been born again out of that by the grace of God and brought into a new life in Christ. And he's set about putting us back together, hasn't he? Binding up our broken hearts, healing us, renewing our minds. This is what we're about. This is what God does when the river of God flows into your life. So we've got this, we've got this vision in Ezekiel. This is a bit obscure. What's he referring to? Then we've got this ultimate reality. This is what it's going to be like. The question I want to ask today is, but what does this mean for us now? Well, how does this work in the age that we live in? Clearly, we're not there yet. So how does it work being a Christian in this age before Jesus returns? How does the river fit in? Well, John chapter 4 and John chapter 7 give us some clues here. So they're going to come up on the screen. I'm going to read those. So this is Jesus speaking to a woman that he met at the well. Jesus said, uh, he's talking to her. They're talking, they're, talk, they're talking water because they're at a well and it's hot. So it's the kind of thing you talk about. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him. Jesus often talks about himself in the third person. Is that the third person? Yeah, it's kind of a bit unusual, but he's talking about himself, okay? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water in the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them. It's extraordinary. In them, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John chapter 7, we're going to put it together. On the last and greatest day of the festival, where incidentally Jesus is in the temple, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So I want to put these two scriptures together where Jesus talks about living water and say in a nutshell, what are the components here? Number one, thirst. Thirst, very, very important. Number two, coming to Jesus Christ and asking for his spirit and drinking deeply. And then we've got this idea of this river, this water of life that comes into you in such a way that it becomes a spring in you that then also flows out of you, which is eternal life. His indwelling, inflowing, outflowing presence from the deepest part of your being. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's Christianity. Okay? This is from the horse's mouth. This is, the, this is from the source. This he started Christianity. He knows what this is about. Whatever you've been taught or told, this is what it's about. It's extraordinary. I want us to really, really take this seriously today. I, I feel that maybe at times we, we don't take him seriously. 
And then, and then as a result, you, you end up living in the lack of the good of that. We must take him seriously. We really must. Because this is what he's saying is his desire for us. Now let me just talk about why this is important. And then I'm going to get into application. Because I think today is a day I really want to be strong in application. This is really, really important. This is important because number one, God is not a God of plan Bs. God doesn't understand plan Bs. Okay? You only have a plan B when plan A doesn't right. That's when plan B kicks in, doesn't it? Oh, it's not enough money. Or, oh, okay, didn't see that coming. Because of our limitation, we get plan B. God doesn't do plan Bs. God does plan A's. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't get it wrong. He does not run out of resources. The earth and everything in it belong to him. And that's just the beginning. Now, from creation through to the end of all things, God's plan A is to make himself known through those who have been made in his image, filled with his presence. That's his plan. He wants the whole earth to be firsthand aware of how glorious he is, all of creation, and the, the way creation is going to become aware of how glorious he is, is that the, the, the planet will be filled with people who have been made in his image and who are filled with his presence and shine out his glory. Humans. That's the plan of God. That's what he wants. Where, wherever they go, they don't cause destruction and damage and pain, but they share the glory. That's the plan of God. They, they express that out of a place of transformation, his benevolence, his goodness, his holiness, his magnificence, his weightiness. That's what we're made for. Isn't it amazing? Wow. Glad Adam thinks it is. This community of people is called the church. This, this people, the, 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 there is a people that fill the earth. That is the church. The church isn't a building. We haven't got one. <laughs> if the church is a building, we're not a church. church the church is the, the called out people of God. It's what the church is. Filled, indwelt with his very, very presence. God does not dwell in buildings made by people. God dwells in people. God dwells in people made in his image, who have turned to him for forgiveness in Jesus. That's essential. We'll, come, we'll get to that in a minute. It's not automatic, I'm a human, so I'm filled with the presence of God. No, no, no. Something has to happen. We'll get to that in a moment. But that's where it's going. That's what God wants. A people that have turned to him for forgiveness and have been renewed and are being renewed into his image. So as individuals, we become temples. And then as we gather, it's an amazing experience. As an individual, I am a temple of God because I'm born again. The Holy Spirit lives in me. And then when we gather like this on a Sunday, I kind of change, kind of. I become a living stone, joined together with other living stones, and together we make a temple for his presence. It's cool, isn't it? That's what the New Testament teaches. It refers to individuals as temples and as living stones. So when I leave here and I'm doing my thing by myself, I'm not just a stone, I'm a temple. God dwells in me. But that's not my full identity. As I gather with his people, we make a dwelling place for him. I love this stuff. And what flows out of the temple? The river. And what, and what does the river bring? Life and healing. So what flows out of the church? The river. What does the church bring? Life and healing. What a destiny we've got. So wonderful. This is God's answer for the death and destruction in the world, the church. Plan A. A people that are committed to drinking so deeply of his spirit. 
are people that are committed to letting him have his way. Are people that are committed to, being, to letting this spring, this incredible spring, flow out from their lives. That's God's plan, folks. His, his desire is not to bypass us. He could. He could, sort out, he could fulfill his entire purpose in a moment sovereign. It's not about his power, but he's got a plan. Plan A It's called the church, his people. And that is to be a spirit, a God-soaked people, a spirit-drenched people that manifest his glory and his presence. That's the plan of God. Now, before I get into application, I was struck by a comment Terry Virgo made when he was with us the other week preaching. He made a comment. It wasn't really anything directly to do with, well, it was linked with this sermon, but it was kind of like one of those throwaways. And I was like, hold on a minute. You know, you want to say, pause. He said, he said you, never, ever build a, you, never, you never, ever build a river. A, you don't create a river around a city. You build a city around a river. I was like, hold on. Because the city is the church. And if you're interested in, in, in being part of building a really good church, you've got to be around the river. You've got to be around the presence of God. The manifest presence, the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, what, otherwise it's, imagine you, you're trying to, it's the river historically that you can, you can transport things and you can get, the life comes from the river. And so you can build around it. And, and as big as the river gets, as, as, as big and the city can get, you see? And so God's plan for this glorious city has got to be built on the river. So we've really got to get comfortable and kind of appropriately familiar with being in the river, live, living in the fullness of this river of God flowing into us and out from us as individuals and as a people. It's, it's not a bonus. It's not, oh, you're that kind of church. That's the only kind of church, folks. Yeah, it's not about style. Oh, you're the loud ones. It's not about loud or quiet. This is about spiritual reality. This is about, are we walking with God or not? This is, this is reality, okay? This isn't, oh, what style are you? What denomination? What branch? You know, this is words of Jesus. This is the Bible. This is our book. This is his revelation to us. We, this is essential. This is essential. This is massive. And so please don't categorize us or, or, or place us in a, oh, you're that. No, no, we just, we want what Jesus said. We want what Jesus said. And, and we're not going to caricature what that looks like. But we're going to absolutely pursue. I'm, I am thirsty to, to know and experience more of Christ, aren't you? I am, I tell you, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. So, so, okay, what do we do? Right. The question is this. Is there anything we can do to help or hinder the flow of God's river, God's spirit in and out of us? Is there anything we can do? Yes. Unequivocal yes from the Bible. Now, let me put your hearts at rest for a moment. Right? Drinking or being filled with the spirit or living in the good of the river, let, you know, all of the, however you want to phrase it, does not require clever or advanced spiritual techniques. All right, so what do we do? Stand like this. No. The Bible, ha- the Bible knows none of that, okay? Act weird, no, okay? You don't, it's not, it's just, it's not that, okay? Let's not go down that road, please. It's caricature and it's bizarre. No, the Bible does know nothing of that. You'll be um, relieved to hear. Drinking is actually a very simple thing, but it requires all of you. That's the point. See, you, we, can, we can make it about something else. Oh, let's do this. But actually, it's, it's a diversion, It's about all of you, all of you wanting him. That's what it's about. 
It's not about spiritual techniques and methods. It's really not. I'll show you. We'll look at some of the things that it's about here. Okay. Number one, thirst. Let's dig into this. Do you thirst? You know what it's like when you're thirsty? You feel it, don't you? You feel it. Do you thirst? Do you want more of him? Now, firstly, I will speak to those of you who maybe you've never met Jesus. Have you come here with a spiritual thirst? You're in the right place. If you've come here because you're thirsty, you're hungry, you want to know more, you sense there's more to life. I tell you there is, and his name is Jesus. You are in the right place. Okay, so good first step, good first move. But I want to speak to believers as well and say, do you thirst? Do you, do you have this sense you just want to know him more? I'm not, not, not in the, because Jesus said, if you come to me, you'll never thirst. So I'm not talking in that kind of, what's the answer, that, that ultimate sort of thirst that you have before you know him, but that sense of, I just want to know him more and more. I want to know him better. That's a biblical kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, longing. Paul says, I just, I just want to know him. I know him, but I just want to know him. That's the Christian life. I've found it, and I've found the treasure, and now I just want to get closer and closer to him. That is the Christian life. It's, it's, it's kind of satisfied, but it's unholy dissatisfied at the same time. I just want to know him better, whatever it takes. Do you, do you have that? Don't lose that. Never lose that as a Christian. I, I, I've said it to, to, to a few guys I was chatting to recently. I just said, I've been a Christian 25 years now. And so, you know, I'm not an old boy yet, but you see a few things. And I've, over the years, I've seen this sort of young, zealous Christians then become kind of, I don't know, kind of content. Middle-aged Christians. Then become bored Christians. And then become, where are they now, Christians? It's the hunger's gone. The longing's gone. Do you thirst? Do you thirst? It's, again, it's not rocket science. The spirit who lives in you longs for deep fellowship. With, with God. And so actually it's not about what I've got to do. It's just about, it's about working out where are the rocks? What's got in the way from that river flowing? It's not about I've got to now build something. No, you just got to get some things out of the way. We'll look at that in a minute. Let that, that river, the most natural thing for the spirit of God to do in you is flow. We mustn't get complicated. But sometimes we, things come into our life and it blocks the flow. We'll look at that in just a moment. So thirst. Second thing is come to Jesus if you've never come to Jesus, come to Jesus. How do you do that? You call on his name. Say, Jesus. Do what the people did in the Gospels. You hear about people, blind Bartimaeus, Jesus. Everyone's shouting out, shh, you're embarrassing. He shouted all the louder, Jesus. And God's attention, Jesus came in. What do you want me to do for you? Heal me. He healed him. See, it's that cry when you really want him. Don't be polite about it. If you know you need Jesus, then call on his name. Call on his name. He'll hear you. He'll save you. He'll rescue you. But those of us who know him, we've got to keep coming to him. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Got to keep coming to him. You made alive in God, it makes, it makes total sense to you now. Once you know Jesus, once you've been born again, it's like, oh, yeah, of course, what, was, what have I been doing? What have I been doing? You know, now, this is what I'm about, I'm about him. Yeah, it's having that. We'll get to that later. Thirdly, you've got to understand something, a, a, a theological truth. All right, here we go. At the end of John 7, it says, The Spirit hadn't yet been given because Jesus hadn't yet been glorified. 
So it's a really, really simple truth is this. Jesus descended. He came to earth. He, he, was, he was pre-existent in heaven. He speaks about that a lot, especially in the Gospel of John. He existed before he was born as a baby, eternally. He is God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God. Okay, It's very clear biblically. So he came down to earth. He lived as a human, fully God, fully man. Really important you understand that. Fully God, fully man. So he knows, he understands, he gets it, tempted in every way. Okay, He knows, yet did not sin. Sinless, but tempted in every way. He understands our suffering. He understands the pressure. He gets it, which is why we can come to him honestly when we're right in the thick of it and find sympathy because he understands. Isn't he good? Right, doesn't deserve anything bad because he's the only man not to have ever sinned, but embraces the cross for us where he atones for our sin so that we can be justified. We looked at last week, remember, in the dock, guilty, your honour, so that when we plead guilty, your honour, we are forgiven and made right with God rather than condemned. It's only when we say not guilty, your honour, when we know full well we are guilty, that we get found out and condemned. When we say guilty, your honour, because of the blood of Jesus on the cross, he's made atonement for our sins. We are forgiven. We are justified. Then we are adopted into the family of God. Jesus then rises from the dead three days later as a demonstration that he is all that he said he was and death couldn't hold him. He demonstrates he's defeated sin and he's defeated death. He then appears to his disciples for 40 days and then he ascends. He goes back to where he came from and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So now he has gone back up the Spirit, 10 days after this, on the day of Pentecost, came down. Back in John 7, the Spirit hadn't yet come because Jesus hadn't been glorified. Now he has been glorified, the Spirit's come. You've got to understand that. We are living in the age of the outpoured Spirit. Is it God's will to pour out his Spirit? Yes. And God can happily do so. Why? Because Jesus has been glorified. All that, all everything in the way has been cleared out of the way by the amazing victory of Jesus. The Spirit now comes. Okay? You should be feeling faith at this point. Now I want to get onto the nitty gritty of application. The river is a person. When you have imagery that's impersonal, you can relate to it in an impersonal way. So you think, well, I want more of this river, so what should I do? Well, you know, you, and you can start thinking like, well, I don't know, maybe I'll, I don't know, maybe like if I was standing in a river, then I would stand like that so that I didn't get washed away in the current and then maybe I'd welcome the river. So you can find yourself doing weird things. And it's like, well, that's, that's okay standing like that, but that, that's not what this is about. That's just odd. Right, so you got, it's an illustration. It speaks of something about this river. It brings life, as rivers do, and brings healing. But the river is a he, the Holy Spirit. So you haven't got to get into strange, impersonal techniques. You need to work out, how can I relate to him? What is he like? See, the Bible talks about grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. You can grieve him. You can, you can quench him. Quench him. You can put out his fire. And when you do that, it impacts the flow of the spirit in and out of your life. The Bible says, don't, do, don't grieve him. Don't quench him. So what we do, we realize, oh, it's not about strange superficial stuff like how I stand or what I look like. It's actually about what's really going on in there, which is much easier and much harder. 
It's much easier because you haven't got to be an expert at anything. You haven't got to go on a course. It's much harder because you've got to be real. And we are expert fakers and hiders. It's what sinners do. And even those of us that are now saints who've been born again, we still bring a lot of our bad old habits into this new life. And hiding and faking it is one of the biggest ones. Because we're not actually convinced that Christ's sacrifice is enough for us to really come as we really are now and be really accepted before God. But that is key because until you do that, God's like, what can I do with you? You're not really here. You said hallelujah, praise Lord, but you're not really here. You know when you're with someone and it's like, you're not really here. Or when someone's lying and you think, I can't build a relationship with you because you keep lying. What really, you know that feeling, you think, let's be real, then we can, we can build now. We can, we can walk together now. You have to be honest in your relationship with God. You know that. Because of Jesus, you can be. Even when it's really, you think, God, this sounds brutal. And I wish this wasn't the case. But this is really where it's at right now. You think, well, how can, well I'll do that. Won't, will the lightning strike? It struck at the cross. Okay? Yes, it will, but it has. Jesus took it. So you can come as you are. And you know what? God, God can meet you right where you're at and work with you. So the first thing, why not to grieve or quench the spirit, is by being honest. Do him a favour, will you? Be honest. Let's not be fakers. Let's not be hiders. Let's not be those who come to church and da-da-da-da-da, and then it's something else. Oh, please, no. Because you know what this will become if we do that? This will become a stench in his nostrils. He speaks about that. You find it in Isaiah. You find it in Amos. He says, I've got no delight in your gatherings and all your music. I'm not interested. You're oppressing people. You're not living. This, this, this isn't real anymore. When that happens, God says, no, I can't do it. He's so real. He's so real. I've got to put on a thing because I'm coming here to God. God's like, ah, no. I am reality. When you get real, we can talk. It's okay. Good. Dishonesty. Second one is unbelief. Do you know when you just kind of, you, you, you basically nurse this kind of, the problem with unbelief is what? The problem with unbelief is that essentially what unbelief is, is that it's faith in the opposite of what God says. That's why it's so insulting to God. So God says, my plan in Christ is to do you good. And you go, yeah, but it's not, that's not for me. I'm in Christ. Okay, yeah, but that's not for no, that's not for that's not that's not for me. What you're doing is you're saying, God, you've said that, but I'm now going to express faith in the opposite of what you've said and build my life on that. So I'll live anxious and I'll live scared and I won't take risks and I won't be generous because you probably won't look after me. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Who do you know who this is that has promised to you? There's only one thing the Bible says God can't do, and that is what? Lie. The whole idea of God can't is a bizarre idea. He's omnipotent. He has all power. But the Bible says God cannot lie. He's utterly truthful, utterly truthful in every way. Completely reliable. You can rest your whole weight on him. And so unbelief is a killer. It just locks everything up. Unbelief is what disqualified the people of Israel from getting into the promised land. They could not enter because of their unbelief. Jesus goes somewhere, healing the city. He He can only heal a few. Why? Because of their unbelief. It locks things up. But people use it as a refuge. If I'm, if I'm in this kind of, if I just assume the worst, then I won't get disappointed. Anyone sound familiar? 
we're all made of the same stuff. We are all, and we all have these battles. I tell all these things I'm talking about, you know, I, these are real things for me. It's not, it's not, I'm not telling you off. I'm just saying, folks, we've got to face this. And say, Lord, help, help lead us out of this because we want that river to flow, don't we? That's what we long for. So the other, third one is unforgiveness. Forgiven is really hard. Let's just face it, shall we? <laughs> the hardest thing in the world. When someone hurts you, betrays you, stitches you up, it's like everything in you cries out for justice. The good news is that forgiving isn't saying it doesn't matter. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying this really matters, <laughs> but I'm not the judge. And if I execute judgment here, I will get it wrong. Because my heart's not fully like God's. I'm going to hand that person over to the Lord. Lord, you're going to either bring them to repentance or judge them. That's what forgiveness is. You release them to the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Okay. And you totally release them. So you're no longer willingly nursing that thing. Now, the process of forgiveness is complicated and long and hard. And so very often you think, oh, I thought I'd forgiven them and I'm feeling that again. It doesn't mean you haven't. It just means every time you spot, spot that you're still getting a bit screwed up that you then bring it again to the Lord, okay? We're complicated beings, but we just keep making it. Lord, from the heart, I bring all the pain, all that cause, and I give it to you freshly. If you don't, it hinders, it will hinder your prayers. It will hinder the flow of the Spirit in your life. We've got to face these things and trust there is grace from heaven for us to do this stuff. There is, there's grace to forgive. Do you know that? There's grace, and very often when I get into the place of, ah, then God very kindly reminds me of my sins forgiven and what it cost him. What it cost him. He knows about cost. He knows about forgiveness being hard. Forgiveness is not easy for God. So it's a, That is an urban myth. It is not easy for God. If it was so easy, God would say, yeah, fine. God gave up his one and only, one and only son to absorb the pain for our sin. Because when people sin, it causes real damage and real pain. It has to be atonement. It will cost God. So God reminds me and I go, do you know what, Lord, I'm so sorry. And I release those, those people to you now. I will not nurse that anymore. And it's a, the, the, the spirit is then non, not, not grieved, not quenched. A few more things and we're done. Control and fear. If you insist on controlling your life because you're afraid to put it in God's hands, you're going to miss the adventure, folks. <laughs> you are going to miss the adventure because you're basically just trying to manage your own destiny. You've got too many blind spots. Come on, just get out of the boat. Come on. It's mental. It is. Yeah, sometimes it's calm, sometimes it's like, oh my goodness. Right, but you, 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 you find him in it. That's where he's out of the boat. He's, he is wild. He is wild and he's out there saying, come. Peter says, if it's really you, you Lord, tell me to come. He says, come. So then Peter goes and he's, he's out and he's like, oh, <laughs> oh. Now the, it's the other ones who wind me up at this point because poor Peter, he takes his eyes off Jesus, falls in, Jesus rescues him, puts him back in the boat. And it's like, you can just imagine him going, oh. and it's like, hold on a minute. Where were you? You were in the boat. You were, in, you were just looking. So easy. Oh yeah, oh look. Come on, Peter gets so much stick. I applaud that man. He's out having a go. He's looking to learn how to walk this walk of faith. Come on, stop the control. It's a sin. 
You're not trusting him. With your past, with your present, with your future. That's where we live. That's supposed, that's the Christian life. We're living, we, you know, we're looking to him because we need him. Because we're obeying his commands to come out on adventure. Because, so we, we haven't got every I dotted and every T crossed. It's not that we don't plan anything. We don't do things well. We do. But you're involved in things that are way too big for you to be able to work out. You're involved in the purposes of God. He has to come through. He has to provide. He has to lead. He has to open doors. And he often takes it to the line. It goes to the wire. That's his way. Then why is that his way? Because he wants to know what's in your heart. And when it goes to the wire, all that stuff can come out and you can see what's in your heart and then he can renew his image in you some more. He's wonderful. Let him deal with you. I plead with you. Let him have his way. Trust him. He is awesome. And you will have victories and you will have, you know, there will be weeping in the night, but joy will come in the morning. All right. Joy will come in the morning. I, I, I stand here on behalf of him. He is faithful. I'm here as an ambassador. I'm not, this is not me and my opinions. If it was, all leave. I'm going home, waste of time. This is the word of God. I'm representing him. This is who he is. He is faithful. He will fulfill his promises in his time. He will make good on every promise to you. Trust him. You must. This is the, this is, I'm speaking on behalf of the king. This is, my, this is what I do. This is him. He will do it. He cannot not. Creation would break down and crumble if he did not. The whole thing is held together by his powerful word. Trust him. He is awesome. Number five, carelessness. You can just drift, just careless, just complacent, careless, and it just hinders the work of the Spirit. The book of Hebrews is real good to read. If you think that's me, read Hebrews. The dangers are just drift. It's just careless. I've been sort of thinking a little bit lately that I think we need a bit of help with the fear of the Lord. I think we get into the wrong fear, the fear that makes us go, oh, I don't want to trust God, but we haven't got enough of the good fear, which is that where you just go, whoa, where he takes your breath away, you know? And you say, you are, I'm praying, Lord, would you, do, would you, would you come and just show us your, your glory freshly? Because we're in such an irreverent part of the world. We really are, aren't we? God, help us to tremble and rejoice again, to have that trembling with wonder. That's what we need. Help us out of our carelessness and our complacency. You've got, you know, you reap what you sow. Holiness is a harvest. It's not some magic thing. If you want to be holy, it's a harvest. It's about choices you make. It's about taking God seriously. It's about where you're investing. I will say this, I will say this because if you don't speak into the actual idols of your age, you might, it's too general. I was, at, <laughs> I was at this Christian thing, as is my want, and uh, someone was talking about diet and all of that. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm not relating to this talk. I'm not relating to it. Because he's basically talking lots about eating healthy food. But it wasn't, I wasn't relating because I'm not healthy. But, it was, it's, but I'm thinking, something's not connecting here. And I said, I said just, and he basically said, this church is... Full of people, we lived in the home counties, not in London. Churches full of people that are basically really unhealthy and not doing well. And so he was talking about just, you know, being kind of, I guess, a good steward of, uh, you know, of, of, of your body and, and, and eating well and stuff. And I suddenly thought, you know what? In the main, our church being in London, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. But I think very often in an unhealthy way. 
There's so much investment into the body and health that it's like you compare it with the amount of investment into the spirit. I'll be honest, sometimes when I'm, I don't know what to say when, I, when we just talk, you know, and I'm not judging, I'm just like, oh gosh, no wonder you're weak. I mean, no wonder you're really weak spiritually. It's just, it's not like, it's not even a mystery. It's like if I ate a Snickers once a week and that was it, I'd be in trouble. I wouldn't be able to get up and run around. I'd just be, and if I said, you know, I'm not feeling too good. He said, well, let's find out what the deep reason is. Well, I would just say to me, what are you eating? Oh, I had a Snickers on Tuesday. Or what else? Well, nothing. He said, well, that's what it is. Guys, we've got to take this seriously. What you put in comes out. God's not going to do that hard work for you. It's not, that's why we do running partners. That's why we take this stuff seriously. I remember I was, I was walking down the country lane on some retreat a few weeks ago, and I was thinking, God, I'm a bit troubled by all this. Not, I'm troubled by the fact that we have to do stuff. I said, Lord, if, it, if I was really born again, if it was new life, surely it would just go, it would just bubble the whole time, you know? And I was kind of trying to work this through with God, saying just, you know, all this stuff, you know, like Bible reading and praying, and, you know, if I don't, I kind of feel a bit stodgy. Lord, am I really born again? I was going down that road, you know? And, uh, and then I just suddenly sort of was uh, made aware of a parallel image of natural birth. Natural birth, you still have to feed, right? You still- you still have to feed, eat, and do, but, but there's still that miracle of, wow, you're alive. You know, that's still, wow, you are alive. There's something alive to feed. <laughs> wow. Do you know what I mean? There's some, something happened that was like, wow, but then in order for that thing to reach its full wonder, there's some feeding and things to do. And it's like, wow, I'm born again. I actually know who God is. That's a miracle. I was groping around in the dark for years. I know who he is now. When I pray now, I know who I'm praying to. He lives in me. There's a huge wow, but there's a lot of investment to do to walk healthily. And that doesn't take away from that miracle, but that's just how it works. And so we mustn't shy away from it. We've got to take this stuff seriously. Finally, secret sin. Just secret sin, you know, stuff that you just, you're not confessing to God or to others. He's just, because you're too scared. And I know, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like. Bringing out stuff, you think, oh, it's, ugh. You know, who, I don't want anyone to watch me vomit. I don't want that. If I'm going to go and be sick, I'm going to find a corner. I don't want people to watch bits come in my mouth. That's what it feels like when you confess. And you go, do you know what? This is what's been going on. And you feel like, you go, ugh. All I can say is, all I can say is, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He comes around us while we're vomiting. He puts his arm around us and he's got the wet wipes out and he wipes our mouth. You'll remember this at least. All the bits hanging off. He wipes them. Hear it. He, he doesn't just forgive, he cleanses you. 1 John 1 9. Wipes you, gets you looking all right, you're looking good now. We'll get you up. That's the gospel. Because Jesus was made sin for us. Okay, so it's grace. But you've got to engage with this thing. You've got to, so there's no crazy spiritual techniques, but there's that stuff. And if we engage with it, do you know what? That river's going to flow. That river's going to flow in and out of you. Like a... I don't like a torrent. That river's going to flow in and out of us. 
And I, I, don't, I think that's our destiny, isn't it? I, don't, I can't see what other, dest- what other options there are. I think that's our destiny. And so I know I've gone on long, but I just felt this is a burden that I had to, had to bring. So maybe we could just stand and work out how to respond um, together. Brothers and sisters, there is action to take. There is running partners to talk to. There's pastors to talk to. There's GC leaders to talk to. There's structure in place to help you apply the word of God. We do what we can to help you, to help one another, to help us to do well and to do grow. But there is action to take. There are decisions to make. There is courage to embrace. There is cowardice to throw off. This is the reality. This is what it is. And we are with you in it. And God is for you in it. And God wants you to flourish in it. But we've got to engage with this thing. And we've got to take him seriously. We've got to take him seriously. And we're going to break bread. And that's the key. You see, we come back. We remember, don't we? We remember. It's all based on that moment. An incredible act where this is blown open this way for this river to flow and for us to be, to be the temple in a really fruitful way. It's the broken body. It's the shed blood. He, he will never call us to, Im- we will never have to embrace that. That, that is one and only, that is his work for us. We will never be forsaken. We will never be left. We will never become sin. We will never be, that will never be us because, of, because Jesus went there for us. And so he can come alongside us and it's not easy because we have our own cross to carry. It's the stuff I'm talking about today. It does, you have to die. But you know you can, why? Because you're in him and he's in you and he gives you power to do the things that need to be done. So as we take the bread and the wine, as we, I just want to, what I'm going to say is engage with God. Do what you've got to do. Speak to who you've got to speak to. Take action. And as we honour the Spirit, he will flow. Amen.